everybody, welcome back to More Than Us. I'm your host, Richard Swoop, and today is Tuesday, June 16th, 2020. I know I usually drop my shows on Monday. I'm a day late, but just know I'm always on time. Take a second, think about that, and reflect on it. On today's show, I'll have two of my good friends joining us, Belvin and Kara, to have a candid and honest conversation about race in America and where we currently are. Um, you know, following the George Floyd death, uh, the Breonna Taylor death, the protests that have followed, America is trending towards a very interesting and critical moment right now where the lens, even a, a global uh, view, is on African-Americans. So we have a unique opportunity and a unique time to use our voices and use our platform to move in the direction of tangible change and actionable solutions. This definitely won't happen overnight and it won't happen anytime soon on a legislative level. I've been telling people around me in my circle that we are still a generation and a half away from impactful change. But that, that does not mean that we shouldn't still move in the direction of that. Like I said in previous episodes, I think we are at a critical juncture in America where people are now starting to get to a point of realizing the harms and atrocities that they have been committing for 400 years, you know? Um, and just the fact that we're moving towards this point now is what's very important. And as we can continue the momentum, we can continue the fight, um, I'm hoping that we can see some type of solutions in, in the generations to come. Uh, before we get into the conversation, um, there is an up and coming artist. His name is Who Is Marco. He made a very good song, an impactful song uh, for this time period, for this climate. It's called Necessary, where he is uh, using his artistry to reflect on what he believes is necessary uh, in America right now, what the country needs. So we'll go into the Marco and then we'll go straight into the interview. So here it is. Same, just call Amazon, say the package never came Let me know if you need some more in your brain Get you all from the pain, don't run from the rain, yeah Let me wake you up right now Sitting down and standing up, it's for show to matter We gotta do it cause black lives matter Shit is a disaster, uh We are one, we are one Not two or three Big Floyd, R.I.P. We gon' do what's necessary, yeah We are one, we are one So that was Marco. Who is Marco on iTunes? Check out the EP Club Marco. Without further ado, let's get into this interview. I did use Zoom to record the audio, 
Belvin and Cara's voices sound great. I may be a little low, but here we go. joining the podcast today uh i'm really looking forward to the conversation and the insight that i'm sure you two will share i brought you two together specifically because you have somewhat similar experiences but they also are kind of different just in terms of like the path that you guys have taken so i wanted to start by just you know you two kind of giving a bit about your background to listeners out there because obviously you can explain it better than i can so Maybe, Belvin, you start just, uh, I guess when I say background, you know, from, from high school up until where you are now, the experiences that help shape you and your perspective on race and how you, and how you view those things. I mean, for me, like being from Detroit, being in the city, being born and raised in the city, and like if you know anything about Detroit, then you know how black of a city it is, like from you know the population to you know our politicians. Well, well at least when I was growing up, our politicians, you know, we got the doctors, everything you could think of, like is black in Detroit. And so, you know, for me in high school, switching from public school in Detroit and going to high school in the suburbs and going to high school to private school was definitely like a huge shock to me just because like I didn't want to be there to be quite frank with you. You didn't want to be at your high school? No, nah, I didn't want to be there. I feel it. Why was that? Was it because, you know, I know you from back in the day and whatnot. So, you know, like you said, Detroit is a heavy black city and we went to the same like middle school for a minute too, which was, mm -hmm. you know, like 96% black. So do you feel like when you kind of switched up and went to private school for high school, you started to see things a bit differently because then you moved from an environment of mostly black people to, you know, a, a predominantly white environment that still has sprinkles and mixes of other races, but, you know, I would assume it was mostly white. Yeah, I mean, like, I think for me, the most, like, I ain't even gonna lie to y'all. When I got to Cranbrook, I started playing football and football started before school. So I was there in August for like three weeks before school actually started. And there was another kid on the team. He was a senior time, I was a freshman. He was half black. And he used to refer to me as the black kid. He thought it was like the funniest shit ever. And like, when I started over the first day of school, like he was in front of all his friends, like said that shit, like blah, blah, blah. But Wait. even, go ahead. His mommy was white or his dad was white? Uh, I think his mom was white, his dad was black. My famous quote, <laughs> white moms be different. Um, <laughs> but like, like that, that was whatever because, I mean, it wasn't whatever, but like that was my first exposure to it. Cause like, I mean, I didn't really know, like you said, we didn't really know white people growing up. I knew probably like three white people I could think of on the top of my head. And even past that, like, I think another thing that made it stick for me was that, you know, we from Detroit, so we say, what up though? And like, that was just like, they their minds was blown by that. Like they had never heard that before in their life. And that's crazy. It was like a thing. It was so like, it was like a thing when people would talk to me that they didn't know what it was, they would say it back to me. So like that alone was another thing just having to deal with like early on. So like, just kind of 
it being pointed out that I was different or stuff like that. Um, right, right. I feel you. I feel you. And then from there, you know, after that that high school experience, you then went to a PWI. You went to IU. Yeah. So, you know, being at IU, naturally, uh, you know, it's under, you know, 10% black people. It's probably under five. I don't know. I went to Michigan. Michigan was like 3% black when I was there. Yeah. Belvin, being at IU in a space that was even more predominantly white, did you feel that you were even more disconnected from your, I guess, black culture, given that your environment was white the whole time? Like you, you know, the parties, the, the dining hall, the dorm room experience, all of that was, you were in a, a sea of white, whiteness. Yeah. So, I mean, how did, how did that make you feel being a person from Detroit, being from a black city? Um, and navigating that space? Um, I mean, it was hard, especially like again, like when I first got there, it was hard because like I did seek out and try to become connected within the black community and try to go to black events and stuff like that. Um, so it was definitely something that I sought out in the beginning. Um, there were some complications with that just because I wasn't from Indiana, I wasn't from like most black people go to IU either from Indianapolis or they're from Gary for the most part. And I wasn't from even one of those places. And like, they ain't as bad as Detroit, but I mean, they're still in a sense of they're, if you're not from there, then like, we don't know you type thing. And so like, that was like, everybody already had their little cliques or everybody already knew each other. So that was like another barriers to break down within itself. And you said like, already dealing with all the whiteness around you. Um, Why'd you choose IU? When I originally was looking to go to school, I was gonna play football. Then I decided I wasn't gonna play football anymore. And I decided that really late. And I was gonna go to, the reason I didn't go to Michigan is I, I didn't, my, me and my college counselor didn't go, it was a black lady. It was a black lady at my high school. It was a college counselor, she was horrible. When I went to go see her to, tell, like, to help me apply to schools, the list of schools I told her, IU being one of them, she told me I wouldn't get into a single school on the list. And she was like, I'm gonna mark this down here so that I'm gonna let people know. So that if you don't get in, like I say, I told you so, basically. And I was basically just like, fuck you, I'm never coming to see you again. So yeah, then, yeah. So then when I went to go, once I was ready to apply to go to like apply for schools or pick a school, and I decided I wasn't playing football anymore, I wanted to do what was best for like business-wise. And so with Michigan, I applied like directly to the universities like colleges there, and I didn't know that, that was giving me a leg down or disadvantage, and so they wouldn't let me change on application. So IU was the, their business school, the next best business school that I could look to. That's fair, that's fair. Now, I'm gonna switch it up and ask Kara some questions. So I know you went to Spelman, uh, obviously. Woo, 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 woo! <laughs> woo, woo, Spelman. But, I mean, you know, pre-Spelman, growing up high school-wise, um, even, even, you know, city you grew up in or, um, cities you've grown town, up in. The town. town. The town. The town. The town. There's a difference. Town. There's a difference. Yeah. There's big true. difference. Big difference. How how would you, you know, describe like the racial makeup of the town you grew up in? Then maybe talk a little bit about your high school experience and then kind of what made you want to get that um, HBCU experience at, um, at Spelman. For the people who don't know, HBCU is a historically black college and or university. I don't know if it's and or if it's or, Facts. but yeah. So yeah, just just kind of walk us through that timeline of like what kind of brought you to this point or to that um, point. So 
I am from Salisbury, Maryland, which is the eastern shore of Maryland. So literally not Baltimore, not PG County, like no DMV culture. Like literally the eastern shore of Maryland was literally the last place in America to segregate their schools. Um, it's definitely like a no opportunity place. Like so the so the kind of the saying is like you only move to the shore either for the hospital or for the university. So that's really like why my family moved up to like before they had any kids because my dad um, got a job at University of Maryland Eastern Shore, which is a HBCU part of the University of Maryland like college system. So that's why they okay. moved up there previously. Before my parents had kids, they were like in Tampa and he was at like Bethune Cookman, which was at a different HBCU. Okay. So um, moved up there. I mean, like to like I said, to keep it short and sweet, like summarize, like my experience was definitely interesting because of and I always talk about this, like the class divide um, growing up. Like, I really think that like when I, like through my K through 12 experience, like I had a certain level of class shielding that I didn't. So when I was with, um, cause I would be in like the, I was in a magnet program ever since I was in like second grade. So you literally go to a different school, you're on like a different bus. There's only a handful of black kids in the magnet program. And so that was like magnet program from, you know, third grade to fifth grade elementary school. And you go to the middle school, you're in, you're, you know, grouped in different classes, like the honor class, thing like that. So you're still with those all predominantly white kids through middle school. And then even in high school, um, you're still with, you're in AP classes still with that, you know, predominantly like white group. And so my town is small. I literally knew the same people from third grade all the way up to 12th grade, basically. Like, Damn. so, but like my middle school and my high, like my schools were always predominantly black because of just like the way that the district went and like the way uh -huh. whatever. But my experience was still white because I would still be with those groups of white kids that are districted into that school still like in that environment. So I would be in like, in this white space, you know, juxtaposed into like a whole black space, whatever, things like that. And just my town is just very interesting because they had black people there, but there was no type of like Jack and Jill situation that would come arise just because of how like the class is on the shore. There's like, there's like you said, there's no opportunities. So people are working, you know, certain jobs. And if they're not, like I said, at the university or the hospital, there's only so much things that can happen. So I really started like my birthday parties, all white people, all whatever because that was my friend group and it's not like we had like baltimore and dc was two hours away like so okay. like like my parents friend like we like my parents even have like friends like that on the shore either so it was really like that type of space and like i had two older brothers and like you know kind of had Simon's situation but i mean it was just very interesting because i i feel like even i know like when i look back in my experience and when i got to spelman college and of course you hear about how it was for you know people say spelman a lot of times like taking a lot of the token black girls from all around the country, put them all together. And so you get to hear about everyone else's experience. And when I was hearing people's experience, I was un I could understand. And that's how, you know, I really am glad that I chose HBCU because when you get to a campus like that, you're able to not just talk about white versus black, you're able to talk about the intersectionality within, you know, us and how I could see that like, oh, how certain things were shielded because like I had a pool at my house and like, which is not in on some super upper middle class shit, but just, just regular, like, I had like the white people wanted to come to my house. Like, it was like certain things shielding me from seeing that like certain divide that, you know, was probably still there, but not as much. So like, I mean, I'm pretty sure I knew that I was going to HBCU, like especially by like 11th grade, 10th grade. And I was the girl, the black girl in like my history class saying like, Thomas Jefferson was the worst fucking president. I can cuss on this podcast. Like, 
yeah, yeah. Okay, Thomas Jefferson was the worst <laughs> fucking president ever. Like arguing with these white people, like like this man literally kept his kids enslaved. Like you can't, you don't, you don't have a relationship with a slave. Like you don't date a slave. Like no, like right. I was in there while and like presidents was rapists. Like all this shit at 15, 16. Like I already knew. Like I was like, get me out of this shit. What? They don't get it. Like what was and, your like, my dad. What was like your school, like your classroom's response to like your that, Yeah. So it was actually so funny. Like I actually got in an argument with this white girl who has a black stepdad. And she really tried to go like, I have a black stepdad. And I, and I was 15, like, bitch, that shit don't matter. Like they were definitely, like people were definitely like, uh. And it was so funny. My history teacher reached out to me and was like, I see your passion. And I really think that you could be like a, you could be like a black, history month person you go on like the, the little intercom for like the morning announcement and say some shit because I actually saw and like okay. certain things like that and I just already I was always outspoken like I really didn't give a fuck um you oh, know cool. so that was kind of that experience but like my dad went to HBCU my grandma went to HBCU like all my cousins went to HBCU my brothers went to an HBCU University of Michigan Shores that they went to so I kind of know, like I'm one of the best friends that kind of say that like, oh, Kara, like you got, you know, black when you went to Spelman or whatever. And I was like, no, like I was definitely like this. It was just circumstances. Like I came from a HBCU as household, like pants were black as fuck, like always talking about issues. Like I might have white friends, but I always knew what it was, like type of situation. Something I mean, so. That's important. And was, yeah. And it was just interesting when I'm talking to you, when I was listening to what you're saying about, I was about to ask you and this is why I think it's so important about like, you know, how people's college decisions go is when you said like you went to your counselor and we're talking about applying to schools and everything. And that's why I feel like it's so different between like what happens and like with your parents or things like that. Like my count, I never looked to my counselor, which I see myself as a privilege now that we have like talking about it. Like I never had to look for my counselor for any type of college advice or anything like that because like, it was so education and like higher education was just so prevalent already that like I was blessed to not have to be like guided in the wrong position or I was like blessed I was about to ask you like did you ever consider going to HBCU like was anyone around you like you know had that conversation to be honest not really but I think and I was kind of going to ask you this too and you touched on it a little bit if I could describe I was talking to someone other, like a good friend of mine he's a white guy one of my best friends from high school like he I told him like when all this shit was going on I reached out I told him like he reached out to me and we were talking and I told him I was like look uh, despite all the bullshit that's going on I was like without you and your family like I wouldn't have survived high school um and I told him like in one word like high school was survival for me and so I think like because of that my mind was going to so many different places that I couldn't really focus on the college search like I probably should have. But also, I think, I would say I experienced it sometimes. I won't say with everybody, but there was also a cloud or it was definitely a thing, the fact that I was black and from the city and went to a private school where I still was on constant communication with my friends who were from the city and went to public school. And that was an interesting thing too, or interesting dynamic as well, because yeah, they were still my friends. Yeah, we still hang out. Yeah, I still was in the city. I was still at that type of event, stuff like that. But there were also times or comments that even they would make about certain things. But no, I mean, looking, definitely looking back on it now, I definitely wish I would have looked into HBCU a little bit more uh, for a multitude of different reasons, but. So so a question to kind of build off of that, like um, it's, it's apparent we all have white friends and, and we in, interact with our white friends on the regular for the most part. So, you know, just given the current state of, you know, American race relations and 
the many different social issues that we're currently confronting that have been under wraps for so long. How have both of you just been navigating that space with your white friends? Because I'm sure they've reached out to you. Some of my white friends have reached out um, from places of anger, like, you know, I'm so I'm so mad, but it's, it's like, what can I do to, to, to be more impactful in the cause? What can I do to, to be helpful? What can I do to X, Y, and Z? And I'm, and I'm giving them, you know, my take and my two cents on what I think may be the best angle for them to kind of take. But just from, you know, both of y'all perspective, how have you kind of been addressing your white friends through this time of, of racial tension? And then also, how do you feel about white allies? Because I know, you know, I'm just seeing on Twitter and just uh, social media, a lot of black people have felt the way about white allies and they shouldn't be aligned in the cause or whatever. But I guess, what are, what are some of y'all thoughts on that? So I've had some of like my, I think it's, at the, well, I think it's a time period, like Amanda still say, you when you find out there's two people, types of white people, there's white people and there's people that happen to be white. Shout out to my sis. Mm. But, and I really think that's really what's coming out. And it's just the interest, and it's just interesting because like for instance, like I'm not going to reach out to my white friends. Like they can reach out to me because when they like, you know what I mean? And you're really mm. gonna see which people are there for the cause and certain things like that. And, you know, so, I mean, the ones that have reached out are like the ones that I know, you know, are about to be with me for the rest of my life versus different ones that aren't. Um, and it's just that point blank period. Like I'm not like responding to my white friends, like clap emojis, like thank you for reposting. Cause I've been seeing that shit. Oh my yeah. Atlanta. I am like, <laughs> and, and I've been seeing and, like, and the funny thing about me is like, and I, and I get like tokenism. Cause a lot of times like, like, you know, if you're the token black person, you have all these friends and like things like that. And at a certain age, it's like, I'm not about to clap a hand emoji or respond to you because you posted something about Black Lives Matter. Like shit is understood or like, you know, I even have one of my really close white friends, like from beginning, she would send me things, which are definitely things that I've already seen. And I told her, I was like, this isn't saying like, I don't want to talk to you about certain things because yeah, like you're my friend, I'll talk to you. But like off rip, I told her like, you don't have to send me this shit. Send this shit to like all your other white friends. Like I already know all these things. Like I know you want to send them to me, but like, you like certain things like that. You don't need to send me this video that I already, probably already saw like three weeks ago because this is my life type situation. Um, so that, you know, I've just point of period, if they reached out, they have, I've had some, I had a really good FaceTime conversation with one of my um, white friends from like home and she really, it was heartfelt, it was long. I even posted it, you know, to maybe show this is how you can reach out to someone respectfully. Um, mm -hmm. Do you feel, do you feel a way about maybe some white people in your life that you thought you were at a certain level with of coolness who maybe haven't reached out for whatever reasons, maybe they don't know how to, maybe they're kind of, yeah, definitely. Def yeah, there's definitely some there. Um, we're just gonna see how that goes. Um, you know, we're. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just so much, so stressful, just trying to do everything else. That we're definitely gonna see how this goes. Cause, I mean, it's also this type of situation. Like the next time things reach out, I'm gonna bring it up. Like if ever anything happens or something that happens, like it's gonna be a topic of conversation. Like if you ever still want to be like, you know, a part of my life. So. No, no, I feel you. Um, Belvin, what about you? Have how have you been handling, uh, you know, white friends who have been reaching out, maybe saying, yo, Bill, like, what can I do? Or like, how can I be a better ally? Or, you know, how, how have you been addressing the situation? Um, when it first, like when all, I guess, was, you know, when the George Floyd death originally happened, which was kind of like the catalyst for all this, 
I didn't want to talk. I did, definitely did not want to talk to them, to be honest with you. Like, even if you was my friend, like, if, even if you're someone I know, like, you'll, you'll be friends for my life, be at my wedding type shit. Like, I really just didn't want to talk to you because if anything I've learned, like, I didn't know what to say, but I didn't know how I was going to feel because I didn't, and I mean, to, to even to this day, like, we don't really know, you can kind of tell, but we don't really know what's genuine and what's not because it is such a massive movement right now because it is so much attention around it because you have people who, whether there's people or companies, you have people who, yes, it is genuine, and then you also have people who are just doing it, it's just say they do it just to check the box. And I think for me, what was helpful was that, yeah, people reached out in the beginning, but I wasn't like bum rushed by it. And I think people who are closer to me were respectful in the time that they did it. And so like, I had people reach out to me and be like, hey, like, you know, I wanna let you know that I have been looking into this or like if I'm learning things or like stuff like that. And they would be like, well, once I learn more, then I wanna like have a conversation, like I wanna have a conversation with you to like ask questions and stuff like that. So, you know, if anything, I would, if you're gonna talk to me about it, I would prefer you educate yourself about it so I don't have to spend the time educating you. Yeah, I feel you, I feel you. And that's definitely important, man, to kind of just collect yourself and have have a poised thought process and maybe, you know, come from a place of genuineness and passion, like you said. You know, just as we move forward as a country, as a, as a race of black people, where do y'all see, where do you see the country going from here? Like, how, how can we productively build a path forward that will, one, you know, include Black people in progress, and then, two, just make us a bit more equitable in all of the things that we are striving to do? Because, you know, America is really broken and fragmented right now, and it has been for a while, but now things are coming to the forefront. But, I mean, just in terms of a path forward, what, what does that look like to both of y'all? Honestly, I think that like moving forward in the 20s, I, I really do think that a lot of things like driving, like one of the driving forces in how, why so many like non-black people are like in this movement or in this movement against, against racism, against capitalism, against the system that we have is because I think a lot of like, you know, these safe white people who are safe, they've been safe in their money, they've been safe in their future, the things that they thought that they were gonna have, the lifestyle that they you know, predicted that they were have, they realize how fragile it is. It's that white complacent group that are finally being like, oh shit, my money's fucked up, my health is also fucked up, I can afford my health, but like, it's like them, it's like that part of them realizing is why they're like, oh shit, maybe I'm not that far different than you know this other black person or my black friend or something like that. So I, I really think that once again, class and economics is one of the driving forces of white people getting into this movement because they're not as safe as they used to be. Um, and also, I really also just think like, even like, you know, we live in New York and I think it's just a testament to see like New York and like California are, you know, all these ideals of this progressive places. But if you really think about it, like, white people in New York still hang out with white people and black people in New York hang out. Like, like it's like how progressive and how, yeah, you might think that you're liberal and you're super liberal, but you don't have black people at your pre-games. You don't have black people that you go out with if you're happy. Like, like all these certain things that I think that's what really has at the root of changing is like, you can kind of pretend like you're for black liberation and you're really anti-racist, but how anti-racist can be if you've never had a black person walk through your home? You've never shared intimate moments with a person of color. Like, so I really think going forward, like that's gonna be one of the biggest changes is like these liberal white people who think that they're so liberal that don't have any experiences. When they travel, they don't listen to other people. Like, I just really think it's gonna be such a monumental like 
class, race, like all thing awakening, that's really gonna be in the 20s because everybody's poor, everybody can't afford healthcare, everybody's depressed, more people are like, it's like so many things that are just all like cultivating onto one polar experience that I just think is really why, like it's not even just in a USA, like the protests in Hong Kong against authority, like so many people are just like anti-authority, anti things and just, just pro being human and things that we need as humans and trying to be more altruistic. And I just really hope people are more altruistic going forward because I think that's really what it matters. Like it's just people having this awakening of like, I need to care more about the next person. It's not like, oh, I don't owe anybody shit. No, like you live here. That's like, it's you have certain things that are necessary for you to participate in society that you're just expected to understand. It's just like, I think people need to be expected to care about other people. And that's like, what's gonna, you know, drive this movement forward, hopefully anyway. No, that's definitely fair. Bill, what, what are uh, your thoughts on kind of how we can move forward, you know, as, as a race of black people, as a country? Um, like, how does that look to you? Um, I'm a little more pessimistic than Kara. Um, but to her point, I do think that part of what will have to happen if change, if permanent change does come, is like she was saying, there does have to be exposure uh, by white people to black people. Um, because I think once you're exposed to people, then some of those stereotypes or some of those preconceived ideals you have will be broken. You'll be like, oh, okay, this person isn't this, or they aren't like this, or maybe this is why this is like that. Um, like, for example, Detroit is starting to become gentrified again. It's starting to become more like it was pre-riot, pre the 67 riots, and where it's more white people living here. And I know a white person who lives in a predominantly black neighborhood, lives, lives in Detroit, which is a predominantly black city, and they came up to someone I know Boss is going on and it's like you know obviously I don't understand what it's like she was like but I have a perspective on it she was like because I moved into a black neighborhood she was like for the first time in my life I became a minority she, was she like, said I, that yeah to you yeah. not to me ah uh, uh, <laughs> my child she did not get her ass see that's <laughs> what I'm talking about but I think that goes back to the exposure part too because they've never had to be the minority before so it's like but I also, is this a college educated woman? Okay, this is sorry, this might be off topic. This is also what I, this is so, I'm sorry, this is so awesome. But I said, good other. I'm so over people being like, it's okay. Or like, like I'm not, I'm so over, like you do people, like that people are way too forgiving, especially to white people with a college education and access to information and access to money. They're like, I'm not, oh no, there's these No, like, I don't, you are fucking, like that's what my friend was like, you, I'm not, like, if you're a racist, you are stupid. And there's no such thing as a smart racist. And that's the point of my period. And I've really over, like, black people being so pragmatic towards their, like, white friends or, like, towards their white cover. Like, no, eat their ass the fuck up. Your access to education, your access to money, your access to be able to not know these certain things. It's like, no, like, what, like, your excuse is that, it's like, you should look around and you ever wondered why no one the fuck looks like you that you hang out with for 30, 28 years of your life? Like, you are not that stupid. You're choosing willfully to be ignorant. But sorry, I just had to show that because it's no, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that, that goes back to the whole white privilege concept. Yes, um, like, they know they have privilege. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that. But I am undecided on what will happen in the future because I, I believe that we, I've told you this, Rich, we lack leadership 
on the sides of you want to say it's Black Lives Matter, just blacks and getting more equality and justice in general. We lack leadership and you know, people talk about all, all the time, well, they had Martin, they have Malcolm in the past. Yeah, that was important. I told you just too rich that we lack a black radical group right now that the government is scared of. Um, the, the government was scared of Black Panthers. The government was scared of Malcolm during his time when he was with the Nation of Islam. Like the nation isn't the same anymore. The Black Panthers are the same anymore. And there's nobody that's really kind of feel that. Umar! <laughs> Dr. Umar. No. Uh, but I have something to add on to that. Um, and I'm really like so passionate about this. And I really think that like we had our civil, well, civil rights movement and we did everything possible. And we, it's I, still going truly, on, but okay. I, yeah, I was like, but I truly believe that we did everything possible. And it's not, we don't, I don't think that racism and systematic racism is going to end with any type of black leader. I don't think that black people have anything more to do in this movement. I 100% wholeheartedly think that a white people need a fucking leader. White, there needs to be, like, I don't, like, why do we need to, like, white people need a leader against racism. And I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's Sam White out or if it's gonna be, so I don't know who it is, but someone we need, like, white people, it's not, like, racism is not going to be brought down by black people. Black people are not gonna bring down an oppressed system without being oppressed. It's some white person needs to have some white ass leader, I don't know, Ellen, whoever, needs to stand up. They need to start holding these white ass marches. They need to start having all these white ass conversations. They need to have their white leaders. They need to have their white Malcolm X versus their white Marley. They need to have their radical white versus their, you know, pragmatic white. Like, I literally think that if anything change has to come within the oppressor system. And it doesn't like matter what type of, we can lead, we can do whatever, we can be the most educated, organized people. But if the people or the group of people that have access to the capital, have access to the control of this country, don't give a fuck, then it's like, what there's literally you know pouring water and trying to take water out of the ocean like so yeah. i really think we need you know, white people y'all need a leader y'all need to find one asap and i really like 100 percent wholeheartedly think that that's going to be how racism will end in this country is white people not standing for that shit anymore i agree and but, reparations period yeah i agree but we that still can't like none of this can happen so i'm after i make this statement i'm going to say something that's completely the opposite of what i'm about to say but none of this can happen without all of us working together like you said it has to be white 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 what would we have to do but that's what i'm saying that's when i say with the lack of leadership that's what i'm saying that's what we're missing whether it's black i I told i would say black but it's on both sides but especially for the black people because we're the we're the ones asking for shit right now the problem is that we're yes we're protesting yes we're making a difference but okay we want we say we want you know to defund the police we've come somewhat have shown examples of that and given action items that that can happen but you talk about reparations so let's be honest we're not getting 40 acres from you we both we all know that's not happening let's, let's be real about that. i mean they said that same shit in 1885 or 18 whatever they ain't free and nobody's slaves like i think it's this this but, 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 no, because we can't, we can't, no, because it doesn't matter. We can't, we can't, if we're not coming, if we're not coming with an actual plan of what we want, if we're not coming with demands and saying we want change, what the fuck? We've had demands for 400 years. It's not up to us. There is no change if you can't give us an example of what you want. What do you actually want? Come to the table with an actual list. Of what we've come to the table for 400 years. We've met with LBJ. That's how we got civil rights passed. We have laws. Ain't shit happened, has it? Nothing has fucking happened. 
so, because it's not up to us. It's literally, that's what I'm saying. It's not up to us. It's up to the white man and the white person in that point of power to make that change. We can break, we brought all of our problems to, so, and we brought them in 17, brought them in 18, brought them in 19, we brought them in 2010. That's why I'm saying it doesn't matter how- Why are we still dependent on the white man? Fuck the white man. Quit trying to rely on the white man to fix our problems. Fuck that's, that shit. That's what that's, I'm- that's what we, don't, we, don't, we don't need that no more. That's the problem. That's the problem on black people. That's been a problem from the beginning because we always compare ourselves to white man. Fuck comparing ourselves to white man. We always want what the white man got. And it started with slavery, yes, because we want to be like, oh, I can dress like Massa. Oh, I gotta, I want to get a house like Massa. That's what fuck. We want to get the white picket fence because we couldn't, because of red lining, because we couldn't go out to that area. Fuck all that. Let's, that's the thing I love about Detroit is that Detroit, because it's such an all black city, you have nice neighborhoods and you have a hood right across the street from each other. So the hood niggas can see what the nice black people who are college educated or doctors or lawyers or businessmen or entrepreneurs or whatever, they can actually see what the fuck is attainable and they can actually interact with them and they can co-mingle and they can be like, okay, they can have those conversations. This is what I need to do to get here. Or this is one of the steps I need to do. I don't need to do this. But at the same time, us as black people, we got to stop saying, comparing ourselves to white man. We got to stop saying that we need to work twice as hard as a white man. Fuck that shit. We got to stop saying that, oh, I want to get that Benz because the white man got that Benz. Fuck all that. Which is why I was saying that I'm more pessimistic and completely opposite of everything we've been talking about. Because all we just need to, the concept of rich, I've had You just said we need to work together, but now you're saying we need to desegregate. Which I, that's like, that's so that's, that's exactly, what do we have no, to work together no, no, if no, 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 no. the I was saying that's what you want. You want you want the white man. The, you want the you want. I don't the, want. I never said I want us to work no, no, together. No, 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 I want no, 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 to no, no, work inside no, no, his no, no. own unit. You want the white man to be the hero. Fuck the white. That's the, I fuck don't. The ideal, fuck the idea of the white savior. Fuck the idea of the white hero. Fuck all that shit, bro. At the end of the day, I don't even want that. At the end of the day, the real concept of separate but equal is the only thing that's going to truly make everyone happy here. If you actually, the problem is that we have no power. We don't. We don't monet, We don't receive the monetization of white people stealing our culture. Look at music for a prime example. It's the white man's in charge of everything. If you really want to say, okay, we hear you, then give us all our shit back. Free us from everything and let us have it all and start our own shit, which is going to come from you having to give us money. It's going to come from you giving away power. And that's the problem. The white man don't want to give away power. That's the real thing that's underlying fact. Exactly. That's why I just said it's not up to us. It's up to the white man who doesn't want to give away power to have to change his stance on his power. And I never said about a white savior complex because I don't need white people to save us. I specifically said white people need to save white people. Like that's specific, like that's that's what I'm saying. Like in the system and how we so hard brought over here and work in America, white people don't need to save us. White people need to save themselves because they've shown that people, they don't, I don't have the soul about white people right now. This ain't about white people. Fuck that. Dude, listen, this, right. this, this is this is this is why at the end of the day, which is why the only thing that's going to make us happy is separate but equal. We need to live. We need to be separate. We need to have our own black government. We need to have our own black businesses. And if you still want to commingle and still want to have integration, that's fine. But that shouldn't be integration. Shouldn't be what's built because that's okay, clearly look. hasn't gotten us anywhere. We're trying to fight for that for however many years. So we need to just say fuck it, and we need to go. Oh, we on our west side. Y'all on the east side. We can commingle if we want to. Everything's fine. I ain't gonna get shot, but we ain't got to. And everything, we can still have our nice community. We can still have all black people over here. We got, we gonna have our black misses again. The, the black dollars gonna circulate within the black community. The white man come over and give us his money. So all this music, all the culture, all the fashion, we gonna monetize off of that. So if they wanna be culture vocal, that's fine. You put money in my pocket and I'm profiting on it. I'm bettering myself and my community because of it.
So, Carl, I had a question for you based off of an earlier point that Belvin had made about the lack of black leadership. I totally hear your point about um, the white race needing their own leaders and stuff like that. But my question for you, because, um, you know, Belvin and I had a, a separate combo on this, is in terms of this whole movement right now, this moment in time that black people have where the world is watching us, everyone is watching what black people are doing in America. These protests, the uprisings and all of that, what would you say in terms of demands, actionable demands, actionable items, or even a true ingo, if you had to kind of put that into a context, what do you perceive that to be? What does that look like to you? In terms of like this movement and everything, just what do you think the end goal is of all of these of all of these protests and things right now? Um, I think that's one a very broad question because I think like you said, like, you know, what actual demands do we want? I mean, I think there's so many different things that we need. Like you would have to literally like outline this hits in certain like when, and when it comes specifically to the Black Lives Matter protests against against police brutality, I definitely think that defunding the police and um, abolishing the police is one of the end goals of some of the more, you know, radical people in the movement. Uh, and mm -hmm. I also think, you know, one of the notions that defund the police has gotten, that term has gotten gentrified because people think that defund the police doesn't mean abolish the police, but um, originally that's what it meant. Um, I definitely do think that's the case. Um, well, and I think... Alternative policing, not necessarily abolish. Huh? It's more so meant alternative policing, not, not abolish policing. No, like that's, no, like if you like research, like from years ago, like defund the police literally means abolish the police. It doesn't mean like just have like, it literally means that our police system which was made y'all know to catch right. slaves is wrong has been wrong and still be wrong and it's like and even just when I look at it it's like America's supposed, America's supposed to be this like you know world power that is you know leads and is leads the rest of the world and you know people can look up to and it's like it's we 2020 and just I, me being like a science brain and me being like you know I live for innovations and you know things like that it's like why do we still have this ancient system that hasn't been working and that doesn't work, that's proven to not work? Like people ask like, literally I was listening to other podcasts, it's like, what do the police actually do good? And it's like, they don't solve, they don't, they don't stop murders. They come in after the murders happen. Like people are like, oh, about the rape. They don't stop rapes, they come in after. So there's like certain things that when people talk about abolishing the police, like, oh, what about if I get murdered? Or what if I, if, you know, my kid gets kidnapped and certain things. But that's why people are saying like, have certain different groups at, like, you know, designated and allocated to certain different areas or instances of what, you know, needs to happen. So I think in that specific movement that I definitely am with the abolish the police, defund the police. Um, situation, but in the broad scope of in general reparations, like if you listen. So what are they? We still, everybody said we want reparations, and that's the point I'm making. Oh, what I, the I hell specifically, are the reparations? I like, what, would, yeah, what would it look like? What would it, what, I what specifically, like? I don't know if you saw the. Um, let me get my charge. I don't know if you guys saw the interview with you know OG Bobby Johnson, and specifically, <laughs> I do think reparations need to come in a form of monetarily value. And I mean, it's great if they really? give us reparations in form of you know free college and like you know loan forgiveness and everything like that. But at the end of the day, you could be if you were the mo if you had all the money in the world, like would you still go to college or? Would you whatever and you could you know have all access to education and have access to a home and everything but if you do not have that capital you do not have that money needed to really have the wealth and give your family the wealth that you need that it's like whatever so i specifically am for monetarily reparations 
like 100%. I mean, I'm with, I'm with other forms, but I generally think that they need to give us the money that has been owed, the money that has been disenfranchised for us, the years of houses we were not able to leave our children because we're not able to have a house. Like all of those things, it needs to come in the form of capital. It comes in the form of buying power because buying power runs the entire fucking world and always will run the world. Intelligence does not run the world because look who the fuck runs the world, non-intelligent people. So like they could give us access to education and they could, I mean, they also need to give us access to healthcare, but money runs the fucking world appointment period so me personally i'm for monetary reparations that's so then but so but then like, you're still not really answering that question because by your previous statement you want the white man to decide that and you want the white man to un- unheave the system and figure out like so like again it goes back to my point that we're missing leadership because all right we want we want reparations we want monetization but still what the hell does that look like yeah 43 trillion dollars, $11,000 a year over 30 years for every African African descendant of slaves. Period. There's like research on this, you guys, you know, right? Like, so like, it's, it's, it's there. Like the research is there. Like, and it's, and the thing is people think it's so undoable, which it's, it's not, it's really not impossible to do. But Nothing. so that's specific, specifically, I am for monetary reparations, um, period. I think it's necessary. Okay. All right, look, let me let me pivot real quick because I mean we've been covering a lot of different topics and I definitely we've been jiving. Right, we've been we've been really kicking it up, man. Um, just to kind of lighten things, what have y'all been doing to protect y'all mental health? Because during this time, man, it's not just you know race relations going on. We are in a still in a global pandemic, still in an economic uh, crisis of sorts. You know, with over forty million Americans unemployed. What, what have y'all been doing in terms of right? Right, working from home, you know, confined to your house, new for a lot of people. What have y'all been doing to kind of just uh, stay sane? Like, whether it's going outside, watching TV shows, like, what, what, what have y'all done? Watching Family Guy. Family Guy, okay. Watching white people shit and forgetting that, you know, it's like Start watching Boondocks instead. Huh? Start watching the Boondocks instead. Oh, yeah. I've been just watching, I've been really like trying to watch TV. Um, I've been trying to. I mean, honestly, this might sound crazy, but I've also been trying to still watch the news because I feel like it's sad, but I feel powerful when I'm knowledgeable as well. So I feel that like what part of my, you know, sanity is just becoming more like knowledgeable, reading different things, reading different people's takes on certain things, reading, you know, what this movement that people think and how different people think, different ideologies, like just becoming, you know, more knowledgeable on everything is one way that I can protect my peace because to me, knowledge is power. But trying to read, trying to FaceTime my friends, you know. Bill, what about you? What have you uh, been doing to protect your peace, man? For me, like, like you said, it was like when, when, like, when all this, I hate to say when all this started because this shit been going on, but when the time of George Floyd's death, I had like a lot going on like work-wise and like so luckily for me I was already planning to take some time off um so I was able to take a week off and I came back to Detroit and the change of scenery was really good for me um getting out of my apartment and coming to my house and being able to go outside and kind of not having to worry about everything in life on a day-to-day basis and like having my parents there to like you know take care of some of the meals or you know, do certain little things that you have to do all by yourself when you, you know, when you live on your own. Um, you know, so, you know, the change of scenery was good for me. Getting outside, exercising was good for me and just getting outside period. 
you know, I like to cook. Cooking has been good for me. Yeah, you got you got your own cooking uh, show, don't you? It's called Bell's Bite. What you be cooking? Yeah, everything, man. Okay, whipping up, whipping up, whipping up work. Yeah, we got to, <laughs> I'm uh, while we've been doing this, I've been proofreading this little Mongolian beef recipe that I'm about to drop. So that's Wait, what's it, what is the recipe? Uh, Mongolian beef. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely got to share the uh, the cooking page. Yeah, share the IGs. Got to share the handle. I got you, got you. Bells.bytes, uh, B-L-S dot B-I-T-E-S. There you go. Okay. Famous plug there. Um, but yeah, man, and like being with family has been really good too because, you know, like, like you said, shit is really crazy out here and living as a, as a black man. I mean, like, like, I remember my first DWB. And for, for those of you that don't know what it is, it's driving while black. So, I mean, I know being home, like, both being away and being home no matter what like i know my parents like worry and stuff like that so it's been nice to get that family time because the way things are like that could be taken away at, at any second now um so family outside exercise call of duty and and bell's bikes that's been it for me i feel you man i feel you yeah me personally i don't know i'm a news junkie so it's been kind of hard for me to kind of sift through all of the news about this and just like still kind of keep abreast of everything else that's happening in the world because i really like to just step on the global politics but yeah man i've been watching shows too uh documentaries all of that been trying to go outside circle the block spend it a few times man um i cut my hair myself and it kind of got pretty messed up but it's growing back now so <laughs> that's a that's a that's a good thing for me man i didn't send anybody pictures but um yeah, it's, I don't know, definitely an interesting time right now, man. A lot is going on. It's a lot to process, but you just staying positive is key. It is. Oh, it is. It is. Well, anyways, I appreciate y'all coming on the show. Y'all gave some great insight, you know. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. I appreciate y'all going back and forth too, man, because, you know, I, you know, differing opinions is what helps us grow and understand each other in our thought process. So, no, I, I appreciate y'all so much. All right, so I hope a lot of you guys found a lot of good value in that interview. Definitely appreciate both of them coming on to share insight and just share, you know, some raw and, and real opinion. Uh, this has been this week's episode of More Than Us. See you next week.